We are joined now on the line by Mr. Donovan Will, who is the director of ProVeg in South Africa. Of course, the focus is on health, and this is what we normally do at this time on a Monday, specifically now, food and pandemics. Have you noticed that in the midst of all the COVID-19 news, there has been very little attention paid to what we could and should be doing to prevent another new virus from breaking loose? Obviously, we need to worry about the problem at hand first, but there are things we could be doing to prevent this from happening again, surely, and we should be looking into them. At least that's the view of ProVeg. A new food and pandemics report released by Berlin-based NGO ProVeg International looks at the history of pandemics to try to help address the scourge. There are reports of COVID-19 being linked to a fish market in Wuhan, China, there was an outbreak of listeriosis in 2018 in South Africa, the mad cow disease in the UK, the bird flu, swine flu, you name it, it has been there emanating from what we use as food sources. Are we therefore not concerned of the relationship between food, food production and pandemics? Thoughts, please, from you. Good evening. Donovan Will. Good evening. Thank you so much for, for having me. You know, the, the biggest thing for us is that, yeah, yeah the, the biggest thing for us with this report is that a lot of people see this this pandemic that we have now, and they forget about the previous ones. They forget that in 2009, there was a huge pandemic um, with swine flu. And they think that because this one started in China with people who were potentially eating some, some strange animal that we would usually not eat, they think that this has nothing to do with our everyday existence. But what this report shows is that most of the, most of the, the diseases that are emerging at the moment come from how we treat animals. They, they're zoonotic diseases, and a, a big portion of that is, is factory farming and, and the eating of wildlife. And that is something that is happening in South Africa, and it is something that we can do something about. Maybe we won't be able to solve all pandemics, but if we can reduce the chances of, of another swine flu outbreak, why wouldn't we be trying to do that? Clearly, what is the problem here is battery farming. That's the mass production of animals that are ultimately going to land on our dinner tables. And the protocols, scientific protocols, health protocols in relation to that, as well as just basic transportation and storage of food. The question is, do we have, in terms of the international food production standards, ISO, SABS, and related protocols from a health perspective, WHO and the like, from food safety, from a food safety perspective as well? I mean, there are many interrelated competencies. It's a health issue. It's agricultural issue. It's a question of storage and transportation. Do we have enough of these critical role players having that concern? Because things tend to happen at that level, way before it gets to the dinner table. And even from a quality assurance perspective, the fact that these things happen as they do, it means quality assurance on its own is not sufficient, a measure to prevent the outbreaks of food-related diseases and pandemics. Yeah, well, so that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. And, you know, there's two things that are happening here. One is, like, whenever there is an outbreak, whenever something bad happens, we look back and say, what should the authorities have done to stop that? You know, and then there's the thing that we can be doing right now, which is what can we do as individuals? And most of us ignore the second part. You know, it's always about what can the government do? What can these regulators do? And the, the truth is that, firstly, I mean, I'm not an expert on the regulations in South Africa or the, the enforcement of them. But 
you know, there's always going to be some people who are trying to cut the, cut the corners on these kind of things. And in South Africa, we have so many problems. To ask the government to say your number one priority should be making sure that all of these regulations are, are checked, even if it is their, their number one priority, do we, can we really, as consumers, believe that that will, will happen tomorrow or happen anywhere in the near future? And, you know, even in countries like America, where we, where we think that the regulations are um, looked after a lot better, they just accept that for many um, foodborne diseases, there's just, there's just always going to be a risk. You know, with um, salmonella, it, it kills, I think it's over 100,000 people in America, and the, the egg board there just says, you know, there's always going to be some risk. We suggest that you make sure your eggs are always firmly cooked. But when you go to a restaurant, no one's at the restaurant telling you, you know, the regulations say that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be eating your eggs sunny side up because the, that increases the risk. No one's giving us the access to the information about what actually increases the riskiness of our food. No, no, I accept that. I I, I accept the responsibility that is mine as the one who's actually putting the food in my mouth to ensure to the extent possible I am educated about food and the healthy way, if you like, of consuming food. But surely that comes at the back end of what should be the precursor of all of that. We have farms on massive global scale that are given licenses to produce food. And it's not just a question of putting the seed in the earth and waiting for it to grow before you pick it out and then just ship it through to my table. You are engaging chemicals. You are engaging many people who come in and out who could themselves be carriers. You are using machinery that could be carriers of certain diseases. When we talk about quality assurance, Surely that is not a responsibility that can either be delegated or altogether neglected. Because if that were to take place the way it is supposed to take place and the use of preservatives being done in a responsible manner, the less the need would be for you and I to be extra cautious in how we consume our food. So in other words, surely we should be placing greater pressure on the international bodies as well as the local bodies to ensure the integrity of the food because it is that integrity of the food that will give us less opportunity and probability for pandemics, which in any event becomes the responsibility of that given government for its eradication because now it engages state resources that could be engaged elsewhere but have to be engaged in response to the pandemic because protocols in relation to the food production in the first place were not well taken care of. Yeah, that, and that's something I definitely agree with you on as well. So I think there's, there's, two, there's two parts to it. Again, it's the, the consumer side and then the, the regulation side. And we definitely need to be putting more pressure on because, firstly, because it's not being done. You know, the, these things are getting through. If we look at the listeriosis outbreak last year, more recently, there was um, um, African swine fever. And, you know, the fact that these things are getting through and they're getting through more and more often means that the, the protocols aren't in place or they aren't being enforced. And this, this report, a big part of this report is to, is to gather the information and gather the research that's available so we can go to government and we can go to the regulators and say, this is the information that's available from, from the scientists and this is what we should be doing to try and address this. And that, that's a big part of this report, but it's difficult because there's so many industry players that stand to gain 
from allowing more farm, more more animals in a factory farm. You know, this report says um, if you if you put hundreds of thousands of animals in the same place, and it's like a petri dish, it's like a, the perfect growing environment for for viruses and for future pandemics. But obviously, the industry benefits from having more chickens in a cage rather than having less chickens in a cage. So there's while we're trying to, as consumers, trying to put pressure on the government to increase their regulations, the industry is putting pressure on the government to let them do whatever they want because it's, it's, it's better for profitability. Of course. Now, intensive animal farming is the single most risky human behavior for pandemics. So says your report, ProVeg International, that is. Unpack that for us. And of course, I'm asking this because I don't really want people now to suddenly become all vegetarians because they don't understand what it actually means when we say single most risky human behavior. They hear that and be like, okay, no more animals. What is it in our relationship between animal farming that creates such a massive risk for our continued existence? So the the main thing is about looking at at how viruses evolve and how they, they jump the species barrier into humans. And in most cases, that species barrier is jumped from wild animals, and then there's often an intermediary animal like a pig or, or, um, or a chicken, other fowl, that are, that are more capable of, of transferring it to, to humans. And it's got, there are a few factors. It's like how often we are in contact with these animals, how many of these animals are together, what conditions they're kept in. You know, if you've got a, a traditional small farm, with a few chickens on it, the chances of, of a huge outbreak happening are very small. But as soon as you, you land up with one of these huge factory farms with thousands and thousands of chickens, you increase the chances. Both of you increase the chances because often these animals are in less healthy condition. But also when we're looking at, at um, the mutation of viruses, when you've got thousands of animals all interacting with each other and there's viruses moving from one animal to the other, there's more chance for those viruses to mutate and to become something else, so to, to create these novel strains of viruses that already exist. And then obviously the more interaction we have with them, the, the higher the chances of the, the, the species, uh, of the, the virus jumping from one species to, to humans. And then the other thing is, when we look at the conditions in, in slaughterhouses and at factory farms, especially at the slaughterhouses, when there's an increasing demand for more animals passing through their slaughterhouses, if we need to eat more, if people are demanding more and more meat, those slaughterhouses have to process that meat faster and faster and faster. And it's just, it's kind of inevitable that if you're trying to process that meat as fast as possible, some things might not go exactly according to plan. And again, as long as there's profit being made by more people eating more meat, people are going to be putting as much pressure as we can to get more animals through those slaughterhouses faster. But for those who might not know, the protein content that is in meat can quite easily be bypassed, for instance, through soya and lentils. Is the demand for meat because of its taste or is the demand for meat because of the protein? Because in any event, that can be bypassed. I suppose the question is, why are governments, generally speaking, not pumping enough education and alternatives to what we have accepted as our diet for the purposes of, one, ensuring the longevity of human beings, the safer value chain associated with food, because, of course, when you talk about soy, we take out the animal aspect out altogether, and also from an economics perspective, 
using alternative ways of increasing your economic output. Yeah, so there's there's so many things to unpack there. And I think one of the main things that we see is that people are generally resistant to change. So we've always been doing it this way. That's one of the things people tell me. You know, we've always been eating animals. We've always been trying to eat more animals. Animals are where we get our protein from. So it's like you said, you know, most South Africans, including myself, before before I stopped eating meat, I thought, you know, as a especially as a young rugby player, I thought I needed to have as much meat as I could to get the protein. You know, I was eating, I was eating um, scrambled eggs and omelets and eggnog and steak and chicken every day as much of it as I could, and then I'd be taking the whey protein shakes. And the reality is that all of the nutrients that we get from animals, we can get from plant-based sources. And with the exception potentially of vitamin B12, which people will supplement, but on the protein side, you know, those products that you mentioned and a lot more have plenty of protein in it. And um, there, there are more and more um, plant-based athletes who are, who are going plant-based. No problem with, um, with with protein. And then when we look at we look at the sort of what the government's doing, you know, we must remember that governments are just made up of, of humans. You know, like any other organisation. And if, if you've grown up eating meat thinking that it's normal and natural to eat meat and you think that you have to eat meat to be healthy, you're obviously going to be continuing to push that agenda. Plus, we also have the meat industry who's, who's actively trying to tell people that they have to eat meat when it's not really the case. The meat industry around the world is a huge, huge industry. And if we compare that to the sort of plant-based industry, which is definitely getting bigger, the plant-based industry just doesn't have that 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 government lobby try and push their agenda. Mm. That's why we have organizations like ProVeg. In South Africa, we're a, a team of four who are trying to educate people around the benefits of eating more plant-based for the health and for the environment and now for, you know, for um, reducing the risk of pandemics, also for ethical reasons and food justice reasons. And you know, there's a, it's a very small number of us with, almost, with basically no budget going up against um, You're on a hiding to nothing. You're on a hiding to nothing. The lobbying powers of big business will just swallow you. Final question in relation to all of this. Ultimately, it boils down to choices. Could the government not have a strong case from an education, from an agricultural perspective, environmental management, food security, all of that? Could they not have a proper rollout program on the benefits then of subsistence farming? This will take out a lot of what the report laments in terms of the risks associated with commercial farming, especially using animals. Surely subsistence farming must then be the easiest and lowest hanging fruit as a solution to all of this. Well, so there's, there's certain economies of scale that come from, from large-scale farming that you, that you sort of don't get the, those advantages when we look at subsistence farming. But when we look at what, what the government could be talking about with subsistence farming, they could be highlighting the nutritional yields of different kinds of food and say, you know, what is, the, what is the cheapest, most effective way to feed our nation a healthy, nutritious diet? And if we look at land use and we look at um, and it, water, water usage, I mean, in South Africa, water usage is a huge mm. thing. Um, but when we look mm. at those sort of questions, um, plant-based diets win hands down over and over and over again. And we think it should. We think the government should be promoting this. So we think the government should be looking at at at, um, at subsistence farming as well. And and again, it's like the the water usage 
from a subsistence from subsistence farming is completely different to a situation that we have with um, with like animal abattoirs. When we, when we look at abattoirs, the amount of water that's being used in those abattoirs is absolutely astronomical. And if water is one of the biggest um, limiting factors in South Africa in terms of us being able to produce more um, more food, then water should be one of the number should be basically at the top of the list of things that we're trying to um, to preserve. And it's very hard to preserve water. Through, um, through animal agriculture. Mr. Donovan Wall, you were here in Feb. You are now back in July. Be very sure to come back before the end of the year. We always enjoy hearing your thoughts in relation to matters incidental to health on Monday. Food and pandemics then, that was the director of ProVeg South Africa, Mr. Donovan Wall. Relook at how you engage your food, fellow South Africans. Plant-based diets, a case can and has been made for why you should go there. Please try it. That was the show. Good night.